Hey, this is JJ Matat. I'm the worship pastor at Jubilee, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it ministers to your heart and allows God to speak right to you. If you would like to know more about our church, visit jfc.org. Enjoy the message. Thank you, John. Um, Hey, welcome. Glad that you're here. Um, Mariah alluded to last night, it was just one of those one of those times where God did something really special. And I'm in a little bit of a dilemma because I know in this service, I don't quite have the luxury that I have um, in the first one last night or the second one this morning. There's a time, um, you know, um, and I need to honor that another service is coming in. So I'm trying to right now edit in my mind, what, what should I say, what shouldn't I say, what do I cut out? And I don't wanna shortchange you from what God um, wants to do. So I'm just trying to decide real quick um, let, let me do this. Um, it, it's not in your notes. It, it wasn't something that I had planned to say this weekend, but I felt like the Holy Spirit showed me something. If you attend Jubilee, you'll be able to relate to what I'm about to say. If you're visiting, you're going to need to take something by faith real quick. If, if what I say piques your interest, you could actually go back on our website, jfc.org. Everything that we have taught is cataloged on our website and it's always free. You can go there and listen to anything that we've taught uh, since we've recorded and that's been from the very beginning. Um, I, 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 I love Israel. I have a heart for Israel for, for many different reasons. Um, but in particular, using the verse in Genesis where God told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Uh, he said it's an eternal covenant that he made, not a conditional covenant. Uh, he, he actually said he will bind himself to that promise. And then the significance for you and I is that in Romans, when Paul is talking about Israel, he says that we as believers have been grafted into that branch and that if they receive um, nourishment through God, then through the root, Israel's the root, we as branches that have been grafted in, if they receive the blessing, then the blessing flows to us. Does that make sense to you right there? So taking the idea of I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and that through Israel, I think that the church still can receive a blessing. Uh, I taught this message many, many years ago. Some of you will remember, it's probably the most requested message of anything that I've ever taught. It Maybe in the top two or three. Uh, We still have people, I taught it probably 10 years ago, and I still have people across the country who will will mail in and and, uh, call in and ask, hey, can I get a copy of that? Somehow it went out and it was heard about. But here's what I connected. If that scripture in Genesis is true, that I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, uh, I connected in a message many years ago, all the way back starting um, with the Clinton presidency, that whenever the U.S., right? Not, not President Clinton, but whenever the U.S. in particular pressured Israel to give up land in order to achieve peace, I showed that within a short amount of time, there was some type of a natural disaster that took place in our nation. And it was, it was amazing. Uh, it, it, so some people looked at it and said, okay, it's an incredible coincidence. And that's fine. If you feel that way, you, you can feel that way. And if you ever want to come talk to me about it, I'd be glad to show you why you're wrong. But, um, <laughs> but uh, the other side of it, and the part that I want to, um, to spend a moment on this morning, is that I also showed when the U.S. had done things to bless Israel, how you could almost, within a short amount of time, you could see how the church 
had something phenomenal happen. A revival would, would break out in the church. Uh, a point of when healing uh, in, in, at different times just took off. The miraculous. So I connected the idea that when we have cursed Israel, we've suffered in this country. And when we've blessed Israel, we've been blessed in this country. So I want to just point something out real quick. Because here's the difference between prophecy and history. Prophecy is only prophecy if you say it before it happens. If you say it after, it's history. And anybody can read history. Prophecy is, it's only if you say it ahead of time. So I'm going to just make a quick, our president this last week did something that no other president has been able to do. And he accomplished, now wait, so, I, so maybe you're sitting there and you think, ah, he's, he, he's a Trump guy. Don't be so quick to know who I am. Okay, you don't know. I, I practice and keep this church about Jesus and Jesus alone. And I have done that intentionally. If you go to church at Jubilee, you don't go here because you vote red or because you vote blue. We decided from the very beginning, our reason to be together, the thing we're going to agree on is not politics. If you go to Jubilee, we're gonna love Jesus together. That's what we're going to do because Jesus unites people. He doesn't divide people, yes or no? And so that, that, I know that sounds so simple. It's actually very, it's an art to keep the main thing, the main thing. But because this concerns Israel, I'm, I'm, I will not apologize, back down or be quiet about this. What he was able to do was to achieve peace accords in a region that has not been done before without Israel having to give up land. The land is the promise from God. Israel doesn't even have the right to trade the land. It's the inheritance that God gave them, and he called it an eternal inheritance. So listen to what I'm going to say real quickly. I believe that we are going to have a time of blessing because of what took place. Now, I know they're predicting riots. I know they're predicting whichever way the election goes, there's going to be trouble. I'm not saying that we won't see those things. I would, I would rather say, if you watch over the next six months, watch and see what happens spiritually inside of our country. I, I'm going to predict that somewhere in the middle of this, God is going to do something great, that the best days of our nation are not behind us. They may exactly be in front of us because of what's going on right now. God may do something to bring people together. And I think that there's a blessing coming because of what we've done for the nation of Israel right now. So I, I'm not, you, you're free to disagree with me. You're free to say, I, I don't think you're right about that, Pastor. Okay, so you can just enjoy the blessing when it happens and call it whatever you want to call it. But I'm just going to predict for you right now. I think something spiritually very good is going to happen in our nation. Just all I'm asking you to do, keep your eyes open and watch with an open heart over the next six to nine months. Let's just see if something good doesn't happen spiritually in our country. Okay? Fair enough? Just, hey, it's, it's, it's prophecy if you uh, say it right now. And by the way, I am going to bless the president for what he did for Israel. Amen to that. I'm, I'm very proud of what, uh, what took place in that situation. So, yeah. Okay. Here's where we're going today. Um, in 1989, uh, so I, I started talking about what I'm going to talk to you about in the last year with my staff and with the leadership inside of our church. It's a season that we're entering into, and I, I want to start making it public, and I want to start planting a seed, and I want to start telling you where, uh, prophetically again, where I think we're going and what God is doing. But uh, this story begins all the way back in 1989. So I was with my staff a few weeks ago when I, when I 
related some of what I'm about to relate to you. And I realized as I was looking out at my staff, I've got some older people on my staff, but I've got a lot of millennials on my staff. And so I just, it dawned on me and I asked this question, how many of you weren't even born in 1989? <laughs> and about two thirds of my staff all raised their hand and it hurt my feelings so bad that, <laughs> so just how many of you were alive in 1989? Just raise your, oh, thank God. Thank God that you actually know there was a 1989 at some point. <laughs> it hurt my feelings. So here, 1989, can you think back real quick? Where were you in 89? What was going on in your life? Maybe, maybe do the math real quick. How old were you? Uh, were you still in school? Uh, were, you, were you already married? Were you in a career? What was going on with you in 1989? Let me relate uh, 1989 uh, to you real quick. Chris and I um, had married in 83. Amy and Brent came along, um, you know, just, just uh, in the first couple of years. Um, I was trying to, uh, to, to, to go to school. I, I had to have a job because I had a family and I was also volunteering at a church trying to learn ministry. And Pastor Terry Hilgers, uh, you know, who's, who's I mean, we love Terry. Terry was my youth pastor at the time, for those who don't know that story. And um, all of these things were, were coming together. Chris and I felt called to ministry, but, but how do we do it in the situation that we were in? And it was really, really hard. And I won't go into all those details, but in 1988, I, I had the chance for my first full-time position as a youth pastor in a town, uh, Lakeland, Florida. And if you don't know where Lakeland is, Lakeland sits right in between Tampa and Orlando on Interstate 4. So 20 minutes to the east, you have the beach, and it's incredible. 20 minutes to the west, you have some of the greatest fun, and then you have Lakeland to offset the good. Uh, in the... Oh, come on. <laughs> Lakeland is flat, it is country, it is um, it's hot, it's buggy, it's... Um, you know, if you go to Florida on a vacation, you go to the good places. The only people who go to, go to Lakeland are the people who end up moving there. So um, we're in Lakeland and uh, I was desperate. I needed, I had worked hard. I, I, had, I had school that I had just gotten through. Uh, I needed to get going for my family's sake. We had just scraped and, you know, just kind of trying to make it. I mean, you can remember those days, can't you? You know, just in trying to to, we shopped at Goodwill a lot. It was, Amy even said this morning, I remember mom having to make a lot of my clothes. That's where we were in space and time. It was a tough time. And this opportunity opens up at a really large church in Lakeland, Florida. And we thought, to be honest with you, I'm not sure how much I prayed about it. I just thought I need it and my family needs it and it must be God. So, you know, when you go on an interview, it's really strange, especially in a church too, because you fly in like on a, on a Friday, you put on your best clothes, you're gonna teach at some point during the weekend. So you're worried about what they think about you, right? You're trying to impress them. They're trying to impress you so that you'll say, and the truth of the matter, it's like a blind date. Everybody's on their best behavior, but then it's after you get married that you find out what you really have. if you're only doing it over a weekend, right? You know what I mean? I mean, you just, you don't have time to really know what you've got. So they, they gave the invitation and we said yes to it, move the family, we go to Lakeland. And I, I am not kidding you, it's gonna be impossible for you to really get the picture. But almost, almost immediately, it was a, it, we, we were a mismatch for each other. I culturally wasn't them and they culturally weren't me. And what I wanted to do and what I thought they wanted me to do 
uh, was completely wrong. It was a church that had a lot of political infighting. They didn't bother to tell me that in the interview. You know, nobody ever says, hey, we have a lot of problems here. Uh, would you come? They're always like, it's, I think they thought that I could help uh, if it went well with the youth, that that would make the parents happy inside of the, did you kind of get the idea? And so it, it, almost from day one, I didn't fit and they didn't fit with us. And it just, it got worse every day. And when I tell you that it was a failure, you, you're not going to have a good idea because I can't bring you to the emotions of the moment. And I can't take you. It's a, it's in a vacuum right now, right? Where you, you just can't, it was Randy. It was so bad. And everything I tried didn't work. And it finally got to the point, we, we had taken the job in June of 1988. And by June of 1989, the pastor said to me, you can leave or I can help you leave. That's how bad it was. And you, you, when you're a pastor, it's a little bit different because even though I wasn't the senior pastor, it's not, you have to understand, yeah, there's a job element to it. But as a pastor, you feel this responsibility for people and you're, you're gonna to answer to God for it. So was it okay? I, I, you know, I, I was just in this confusing state and everything was bad and everything was wrong. And now the pastor is pulling the plug and I, where do I go? I don't even know where I'm going to go. And so it was so bad and it had gone so wrong that um, the enemy had convinced me that you've made, you've made the worst mistake of your life. You, you should not be in ministry. And so Chris and I were actually going to quit ministry come back to Denver. I don't know what I was going to do. I don't know where I was going to go. Uh, but that's, that's the number that the enemy had done on us. And the clincher, the thing that finally said, you have to go, you have to leave here. I, I came home one afternoon and it had been a really long day. And I was just, and I was emotionally beat up. I was spiritually beat up. You know, you ever been in that place? If, if for those of you who are married, when your, your spouse is beat up and you're beat up, and you want to be able to go to your spouse for comfort, but your spouse needs to come for you and you can't meet each other's needs. Anybody know what I'm talking Three people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Golly, please tell me how you do marriage because I would be interested to know how you've been so successful apparently and never struggled in your marriage. So, we, you know, we're, we're six years into marriage and it's just, and I came home and I wanted, I wanted to go to her for comfort. And usually, whoever, whichever one of us comes in the door, the other one yells out you know, something to greet that one, to just set an atmosphere. And so I came in the door and she didn't say anything. So I called to her, Chris, and she didn't answer. So you know, my heart, I, is she okay? I started looking through the house and I went into the kitchen and she was standing at the sink looking out the window and I called her name and she didn't turn around. So I went to her and I put my hands on her shoulder and I turned her around to see if she was okay. And she turned around and you know, her eyes were swollen. She'd been crying and tears are coming down her cheeks. And she just said, John, they hate us here. And I hate being here. And I knew in a moment to save my marriage, to save my wife, we gotta go. It doesn't matter whether it doesn't matter. My first responsibility is to my wife. So. This is what we have to do. And we literally uh, had said to each other, maybe ministry is just not what we're supposed to be doing. Maybe we just, we never heard from. It's funny how the devil, when you're in those down places, the devil loves to kick you, doesn't he? You know, we, we tend to think of, a, of him as an enemy who'll, you know, at some point he'll let up. It's the devil actually, as soon as he can get you down, he'll go for the killer, man. He will rip your guts out. 
And so we were in that place, and then the most remarkable thing happened. Now, I need to give this addendum real quick. Um, What I'm about to say to you is going to sound like, could it even be true? Did that really happen? I know some of you have heard me tell this. It's my job to keep this vision, so I will continue to talk about this from time to time. Some of you who have not heard this are about to hear something, and you're going to go, he's making that up. It it cannot be true. So I'm just going to make this statement. Whenever I stand up here, I never stand up here trying to convince you of anything. God has to do faith in your heart. I cannot be responsible for your faith. I have to be responsible to tell what I know to be true, what I'm hearing from God, and then you have to take it and decide what you're going to do with it. You're free to reject it. We do not have to split and divide because you say, I I just don't know if I can go there with you, pastor. But I, I do wanna say this to you. If you can't accept what I'm about to say, then I just wanna ask you a question. How can you accept the miracles of the Bible then? How can you believe the miraculous if you can't believe that it still happens today? Just think about that. So we're in this really beat up place. It's really, we're, we're, we're going to quit. We're just going to sell all that we had and go back to Colorado. And um, we go to bed that night and I'll give you a little TMI. I sleep on the left and she sleeps on the right. Okay, and you're like, you sleep with your wife? Yes, I do. <laughs> Yes, I do. (laughs) At least five times. (laughs) See, it's rolling slow. So I'm like, oh, five kids. Yeah, I get it. Well, we had twins, so at least four times. But (laughs) I cracked myself up. Um, So I sleep on the left. She sleeps on the right normal night, except that we're just in this really wounded place, but we had been for quite some time and sleep really, sleep had gotten to the place where we didn't have very restful sleep for a long period of time. We'd lay awake at nighttime and we, it just, you know, so we, we both went to bed and we both almost immediately just boom, we go to sleep. It was great. And sometime early, early in the morning. So I'll describe it to you because I'm, I'm sure you know, it's not light, but it's not dark. It's that twilight time. Can you think? So you really can't see in the room, but you can make out shadows in the room, right? So I'm sleeping and yet I'm kind of coming out of it. So I'm I'm aware, but I'm still asleep. Do you guys know what I'm I'm taught? You know that place, okay. It was in that moment and in that place that the Lord Jesus came to me. Now, if you say, what did he look like? I didn't look at him. I didn't turn and, and, and look. I was laying in bed. I'm not asleep, but I'm not awake. It was in this place that this vision, dream, revelation, I don't know what the right word is, but Jesus came and he literally came on my side and stood next to my head. And if you go, but if you did it, look, how do you know it was Jesus? Just listen to this. His presence is unlike anything. It's what makes worship when his presence is in a room. It's what causes us not to be individuals alone, but we're part of a group that's experiencing something that is so like, it's, it's a little foretaste of heaven that just touches us. It's a little kiss from God. And you just know he's, he's here. And so he came to me in a moment of 
brokenness. And he didn't scold me. And he didn't tell me, what are you, look all that I've done for you and you're gonna quit ministry, nothing like that. He came and he stood next to me <laughs> and he said, I love you and I'm proud of you. And I've called you and I'm for you and I'll never leave you. And there wasn't like this dialogue. I'm just laying there soaking it in. And for the first time in months feeling like there was some intrinsic value to me that I wasn't experiencing in many other places. And the Lord, man, I just don't know how to tell you how kind our Jesus is. Look at me real quick. I know he's the king of kings. Kate, I know he's the Lord of lords. I know he can do anything. But the one thing we never talk about is how gentle and kind our Jesus is. He is so gentle and he is so merciful. You know, the Bible says that he's close to the brokenhearted. It doesn't say that he's close to the successful. It doesn't say that he's close to, to the ones who are powerful, although he loves and he is, but it says specifically that he's close to the brokenhearted. Wow. How kind our Jesus is. And I needed to experience his kindness, man. And I'm just laying there. And like I said, I'm not awake. I'm not asleep. I'm just in this. And the Lord's just, he's just telling me these things. And I'm just, I'm just soaking in it. My heart, I guess my heart's being healed. Maybe that's the only way to say it. It's being healed in that moment and in that space. And then all of a sudden it changes. And I'm standing in a room and there's just lots and lots of people, not tens of thousands, but hundreds and hundreds, I, more than I could count. I'm just looking out and, and I'm standing in front and I'm talking, but the sense was there's no, there's no conversation. I'm just, I'm seeing it and I realize it and it's people, it's a church and God's doing something really great in the church, but it's a church. Here's the only way I can describe it. I saw like a, like, like for those, you remember a bicycle, the, the wheel on the bicycle, it has the hub and then the spokes that go out. The church was like this hub with these spokes that went out and people would come in on the spokes and in the hub, God would do, he would heal them. Health would happen in their heart and in their spirit. They'd be so full, they'd have so much joy and then they'd go out on another spoke like out into the world and they'd bring that health and that vitality and that, that, that touch from God would go with them and then they'd come back in on another spoke and, and in the hub, there was just, it, it was just so good in this hub and I was in the hub with all of these people and I knew that we were training them. I knew that we were giving them something that not just, not just like a church service, but there was something that was being imparted that people were taking and they were coming and they were going and it was having such an incredible, it was successful. It was successful. And I saw my, it was down years down the road and, and I, Chris was with me and it was just, it was just a picture of the future. And it was such a kind thing that the Lord was doing for me right then. And then he said this to me. Now that's all of this part is not the part that I think you're going to have trouble believing. Here's the part that you may have trouble believing. The Lord said to me, John, so you'll know that this is me and not you. Chris is having the same dream right now. Now, let me stop and I need to 
tell you something. This is, this is the most important part of what I'm about to tell you. For too long, people that love God but don't trust God to be God try to help God do things. Like God will give you a word that he's gonna do something great in your life and instead of just going like, okay, God, then <laughs> unless you build the house, I'm gonna labor in vain anyway. So God, I'm not gonna try to make anything happen. You go do it. And what we do, like if God said, I'm gonna bless you financially, what we'll do is help God by telling people, hey, the Lord said he's gonna bless me. Maybe you're supposed to be a part of that. And maybe you can manipulate somebody to help you, but let me tell you what you've done. In the back of your mind, you know now that miracles aren't really real. You're the source of your miracle. And you've stolen from God the supernatural in your life. And the church is full of charlatans today. I use that word. Charlatans today who may have a word from God, but then they practice the strong arm of the flesh, not the strong arm of the spirit. And they try to manipulate people, places, and things to get the word of God to happen. Do you understand what I'm saying right now? This is Folks, this is the most important part of what I'm trying to tell you. Let God be God. Let him do it in his time. He's got the power. He doesn't need your help. And if you have anything that God said to you and it hasn't happened yet, you just have to stay in that place of trusting. He knows when it's supposed to happen and he will make it happen when it's supposed to happen. Don't try to play God in your life. You're stealing something from yourself. You're really stealing something from people too. Now, the only reason I'm like being adamant about this is that I know in my mind and in my heart that I, I can prime the pump with my wife to get the right answer. Like I could wake her up and I could say, Hey, I'm having a dream where I'm in this place and I'm talking to all these people and it's really going good. And God told me that you're having the exact same dream. Are you? And all I've done, I can get her to say, uh, yeah, yeah, but I know. And then I can tell you, right? But I know what really happened. So I know better than to prime the pump. So this is important. I sleep on the left. She sleeps on the right. I'm sleeping on my left side. She's sleeping on her right side. So just picture real quick, we're facing each other. You got the picture? This all happens and then it's just, it's over. So I open my eyes and now it's light. The sun has begun to rise. So all I do is I open my eyes. I don't even lift my head off the pillow. I just open my eyes and Chris is laying there and she opens her eyes. And God is my, I would swear, but I'm not supposed to swear. So I promise knowing that I will stand before God and have to give answer for what I'm telling you right now. Okay? I open my eyes, she opens her eyes, and all I say is, are you having a dream? And she said, yes. And I said, what are you dreaming? And she said, we're in a church, and it's our church. And she said, there's people as far as you can see. And she said, God's bringing people in and out, and something, there's just something happening that he's doing that's, it's like something we've never seen before. Well, man, as soon as she says that, I just need to, I didn't go, oh, bless the Lord. I, it was like somebody threw ice in the bed, man. I'd jump up like, ah! 
And I'm like, I need a pen. I need paper. I've got to write this down. So I'm writing it down as quick as I can because I don't want to forget any part of it. And this teaching, training, ministry thing, I thought as soon as I woke up that morning, it's supposed to happen right now. So I've tried since 1989 to make this thing happen, right? And here's what I learned along the way. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. You cannot do what God can do. And so well-meaning people, whenever I've shared this to keep the vision in front of people that at some point this is going to happen, whenever I've shared this, well-meaning people have come to me and said, Pastor, you know what? We can do this right now. Pastor, I can help you. Pastor, you could come meet at my house if you want to. Pastor, I'll... And here's the thing. They're well-meaning, but it's the strong arm of the flesh. It's not God saying, just let me build this and all you need to do is step into the moment. And I'm as guilty as any well-meaning person because you can't believe the number of times I have said, now must be the, like when we started this church, I assumed this must be the time. Just one the time. And then about a year ago, I just sort of left it to God. Like, I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of beating my head against the wall. I just, God, it's yours. Uh, By the way, God, I'm 56. I think I got a lot of good years left, but I'm not 26, 36, or 46. So I'd really like to, if we're going to do this thing and build this thing, whatever it's going to be, I'd like to be able to enjoy it, not build it and then die. So that's just my request. And about a year ago, the Lord just began to speak to me in my prayer time. And it's through different ways, prophetic words and things he was impressing in my spirit The season's coming, John. Start talking about it with your staff. Start talking about it with leadership. Don't do anything. Just start talking about it. So I just have been, I've been sharing this. I've been talking about what it could look like. And, you know, I'm not going to share today what I think it could look like. I'll give you a few things, but I'm just not ready to share some of it. I'll I'll do it in the next, uh, the next few months. Um, But then this, this happened um, very recently not looking for it, not, not hiring anybody, not, not getting the word out, nothing. I'm not helping God. He needs to do it. Out of the blue, a group of investors came and approached us and asked us if we would sell our office building to them. Just out of the blue. Would you guys be interested in selling it? And I said, um, quite honestly, had COVID not happened, I would have said, no, we're not interested in selling it. Because in my mind... I, I saw how it needed to happen in a different way. But COVID allowed me to see that it, we can work from home if we need to for a little while. And so now I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about our office building. And so this person has, um, this group approached us, made a tremendous offer. Um, we have a lot of equity in that building that would, would allow us to without having to put a lot of pressure on you, although you would play a part in this, be able to get started and get going. And um, now, the way our constitution and bylaws is set up is that I, I actually have to bring it to the membership to let them know about it and to be a part of that process. But I don't have anything to bring yet because I don't have any kind of a signed deal, but we're, I'm actually waiting for the signed deal right now. 
So in a very short time, I will bring something to all of you and say, hey, here's what I think God is doing and what I think it's going to look like. All of you who go to this church know we've made the most out of what God has given us. We fill it to the brim and we don't have what we need. And I, for 15 years, I'm just like, hey, it's great. And I've never stood up here and put pressure on anybody to do something else. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. But I know a time is coming now to talk about what this dream was and what this thing's gonna look like. So what's my time? 10, 11. I should have let you go five minutes ago. That's awesome. Um, babe, think so? Okay, I'll do it fast. Uh, Genesis 47, 27. Go there for me real quick, you guys. Um, I, I'm, I'm gonna skip. I had some things that I wanted to talk about with the purpose and the power and the pull of prophecy. I'm gonna cut that part out of the message. Maybe go back and listen to last night's message or the next message if you wanna hear the full. But for your, for your time's sake and for the next service coming in, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get to this. Genesis 47, 27. When I was in Israel last year, God gave this to me. Meanwhile, the people of Israel settled in the region of Goshen in Egypt. They acquired property, they were fruitful, and their population grew rapidly. There were four things in that when I was in Israel last year that when this whole thing got stirred up and the Lord said, hey, it's the season, the timing is coming. He gave me this scripture to kind of push me and catapult me forward and to lead us into this. So there are four things in this scripture that God, God gave to me. And here are the four things that, that settled in Goshen, that the people of Israel settled in Goshen. So Joseph, if you remember the story from Genesis, Joseph's brother had sold him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. He rises to the second most powerful position in Egypt. And then a famine hits the land and all of Joseph's brothers and their family and his father, all, all of what was considered the promise that God gave to Abraham, what's left of that, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all, all of that, that's called Israel, that comes to Egypt during a worldwide famine, and Egypt is the only place that has food because of what Joseph had done in that situation. And so um, Pharaoh was pleased with Joseph, Pharaoh gave credit to Joseph for allowing Egypt not only to survive, but to thrive during that time. So when all of Israel came into Egypt, Pharaoh wanted to do something good for them, but the Egyptians as a whole were like, well, they're not Egyptian and they're not really, you know, so we can give them land, but what kind of land are we going to give them? So they gave them an area called Goshen. Now on this side of history, we know that Goshen was the most fertile part. It was the most productive part. It was the part that they got the most wheat from and the most, uh, it, it was the best part of the land. But when, when the Egyptians gave it to Israel, it wasn't like that. It was just a piece of ground that was not fertile. It was like, it was like okay, we're gonna give you something, but they gave them the worst that they could give them. Does that make sense? But then listen to this. Because God was with his people, he blessed that property and it became the most fruitful land in all of Egypt. So here, here's, here's just a lesson. Even if someone tries to keep you from being blessed, all you need is one day of God's favor to make people jealous of what they tried to keep you from having, man. So this, this remarkable thing happens. He gives them Goshen and Goshen becomes the most fruitful part of Egypt. And then it says this, 
in that place where it became fruitful. They acquired property, they were fruitful, and their population grew. And the Lord just said to me, we're coming into a season where I'm going to give you something that is going to become so fruitful, a place that is just going to be so fruitful. I, and we've had that here, but this is, this is beyond that. This acquired property thing, there's something coming. I don't know what the something is right now, but there's something coming our way. The fruitfulness, this is the best time in the world for you to be attending Jubilee. Because even if you're just like, you know, I, I like the church, but I'm not necessarily sure, you know, if I want to participate with all they're doing, you're going to be blessed just by being close to what God is doing inside of this place. And I just want to say to you, so what would that blessing look like? Man, if you're in a place where it's not fruitful in relationships, like maybe your marriage or maybe with your children or maybe with your parents or maybe at your work, all you need is for God to breathe on it. <sighs> Listen to this. This is what the Lord told me. Do you know what the word inspiration means? Like when an artist or a writer or a, a person, oh, I need inspiration. Anybody ever needed inspiration? Here's, go home and look it up for yourself. Inspiration means God breathed. So that when God breathes on us, everything comes alive. Our brains come alive. Our spirits come alive. Our bodies come alive. Our relation. How many of you would love for God to breathe on your life, man? If you don't raise your hand, you don't get it. How many of you would love God to breathe on you? Yeah, of course. No, I don't want that. We all want that. If you don't want it just for anything else except to be able to make it through the time we're living in, this would be a good time to have inspiration on your life. Do you agree with that? Even to know how to talk to people and handle things. And oh, I'd love to tell you a story about what Rebecca Murley did recently. To, she, uh, I can't, I can't, I can't. Stop it. I've got so much in my heart, man. So just this fruitfulness. And then the last thing. It says that their population grew rapidly. Listen to what I'm going to say. I don't want our population to grow rapidly. That, you ever heard a pastor say that? Here's what I know that a lot of pastors don't know. I've had that. And it did not bring this church what I wanted it to bring. You know what it brought? It brought me isolation. There were so many people and there were so many things and so many issues that uh, instead of being able to like look people in the eye and, and stand up here and, and know people and touch people and, and be with people, I got so far removed from my church. So I was a figurehead as pastor, right? But not, not pastor. And I got in this to be pastor. I like people, you know, it's a bad thing to be a pastor and not like people. Like, you know? And so, so when the Lord, by the way, oh my goodness, I, four years ago, right now, I had a heart attack right now, this weekend, getting ready to speak at the Lakewood campus. I had a heart attack and I should be dead but I'm not. This is not a memorial today. <laughs> this is a going forward today. And the Lord told me at the time, look, all of the people were a blessing. All of the pastors were a blessing, but it was not what God had called me to do. And I know the Lord said, John, you know, I've called you, 
you need to get back to the thing that I told you to do. So give it away. So I gave away half of our church. I gave away half the resource. You guys were here, if you, if you were here. I gave away half the money. I gave away more than half of the pastors. I gave away half of the property. I just gave it all away so that these other churches could go and do what God had called them to do. And the most remarkable thing is that I've been able to keep relationship with all those people. We did it right. But it put it back where my, my eye was single focused on this is my church. You are my church. You are my people. And I love my people, man. I give my people the very best that I have to give right now. So just listen to this very quickly. So when it says their population grew rapidly, I said to the Lord, uh, I'm not really excited about that. And God told me this. Listen, John, listen to what God told me. Not big numbers, big people. God is going to do something in your lives where you're going to increase spiritually. You're going to grow like you've never grown before. And it's going to happen so rapidly. And you're, you're going to fall in love with Jesus. Like, like for those of you who think, I can't love him anymore. He's about to shock you and turn your world upside down with how much you're going to love him. For those of you who think, you know, God's answering my prayers. He's about to make what it used to be like, like a covered wagon compared to a rocket ship that's coming our way, man. Your best day spiritually didn't happen in 89, 99, 09, or 19. Your best days are coming. Listen to my words in 2021, 2022, 2023, 2024, 2025. It's a great time to be alive, Kathleen. It's a great time to be in this place and at this time. And the enemy's doing everything he can to convince us all that there's, it's just going to be terrible ahead. Stop listening to the report of a liar, of an enemy, of the one who wants to kill you and take you out. Begin to listen to the report of the one who created you, who loves you, who gave everything for you, and who stands today, right? Trying to woo your heart. He's trying to pull you to himself. He's trying to speak health and life and vision to you. Jeremiah 29, 11, go there real quick. Just, just hit it. I just gotta, gotta go. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good, not for disaster. This sentence, to give you a future and a hope. Okay, it's one thing to be alive, but it's another to be thankful that you're alive. Listen to me. God is not calling you to survive, but he is calling you to know that in the survival comes a purpose and a plan and a joy for being alive. And too many people today, you're not dead and you wouldn't do something crazy, but you don't really see a lot of purpose for being alive. And God needs to inspire you. He needs to inspire young men. He needs to inspire, I'm looking for an older man, but I need to be careful with who I, yeah. Thanks, Randy. He needs to inspire. Thank you for volunteering in that situation right there. He needs to inspire. So, so hey, prove it from scripture. Prove it from scripture that God's gonna do that in this world today. Joel chapter two, that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost. In the last days, Open your ears. In the last days, 
I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your young men will dream dreams. Your old men will see visions upon my men and my women. I'm going to pour out the things we read in revelation. The things that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 end time events, they will happen because the Bible said they will happen. But I'm going to say that before those days ever make it to this earth, God is going to pour out and there will be a sweeping into his kingdom, an enormous amount of people, people that, ne that people that you looked at and thought they will never listen to the gospel are going to hear the gospel and love Jesus. And you're not going to sit there like, oh, that was neat. You're going to be a part of it, man. You are called and alive for such a time as this. Okay. What does this, this dream, this teaching, this training, this wheel, this hub, what, what, what I've got five things. I'm just going to say real quick it's here. You can just write it down. Hold on to it. We have a good future. This is a perfect time to be here. It's a perfect time to align with, with a vision. God is calling us for a good future, not just a future. We're not going to be just alive, but he is going to give us a future and a hope that it hold on to that. What I see coming our way, what we will build, what we will have in a church, in a training center, this wheel and this hub, I think it's going to be a four generation. Pastor Jonathan said it. My wife said it. We, we, it's in all of our literature. The vision for our church is to engage all generations to love Jesus, to know Jesus, to, to, to serve Jesus. We're not chasing millennials. We're not chasing Gen Xers. We're not chasing boomers. We're not chasing the greatest generation. We're chasing everybody because everybody fits into the kingdom of God. What Chris said about little ones downstairs, we're not just starting children's ministry back up again. Jesus said in Joel chapter two, that little ones will prophesy. That means he's going to pour out the miraculous, even on children. There's no junior version of the Holy Spirit. You know that, right? The Holy Spirit doesn't shrink down to a baby in order to touch a baby. The same fullness of the Holy Spirit that fills your life can fill a child's life. We've got to expect those things. Here's the third thing, man, that will, that hub, that spoke. I don't know fully. I'm just trying to tell you that this thing that God's about to do for us, it goes beyond the idea of just a church where you come and listen to a message and the pastor touches your heart. So there's this, there's something that you're, you're going to get health. You're, you're going to get restoration. You're going to discover things and then you are going to take them out into your, whatever your hand finds to do, you need to do it with all of your might and you need to do it as unto the Lord because God put you in that place because you are his witness to this world. Jonathan's right, man. The trend over 2000 years is that we still tell people about Jesus, man. Jesus is worthy of us talking about. He's still worthy of us talking about. So I it just, just, and, and then it's, I, I see it as regional. That doesn't mean I, I'll never do campuses again, unless God gives me a burning bush. It, it would, it would literally have to be a burning bush where the Lord just like, you know, I just will not do it again. This is my single focus. What God, I know that God called me to do this, but I do see what the Lord wants to do is some regional thing where it's not just for Lone Tree and Highlands Ranch and Parker and Littleton and, and Inglewood and Castle Rock. And I'm trying to, you know, it's not just this 
just, he wants, to do, he wants to do something in our front range, I think, that's bigger than we understand. Not that, that we're doing, somehow this church is going to be more of a blessing to other churches than we've ever been before. And what you don't know that I don't stand up here and ever talk about, you'd be shocked at how many pastor salaries we've paid over the years for churches that can't pay their pastor, where we get nothing out of it other than to just make sure that the Holy Spirit has an opportunity to reach a community that otherwise he won't be able to do. Somehow this church will become a greater, I don't know if we'll help to, to send worshipers or send, maybe it's even the resource of people that will help to send into other churches. Here's the deal. God knows if he puts it in my hand, it can go right through my hand. I never go like this with what he gives me. I always keep my hands just like this. Because if you'll do this, God can give you more and more resource as long as you don't go, me, 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 me. Take what you need, but let the rest go into the kingdom. Do you hear what I'm saying right now? It's, it's, okay, last one. You know, somebody told me one time, it's like trying to drink from a fire hose with you, man. You just, you give so much. You could like do one thing and that'd be a great message, but you have to do eight messages in one thing. And I'm just, you know, people leave like, I need to go home and take a nap. Um, I do too. It's the funniest thing. I, I feel the same way. Listen to what I'm about to say, because it's not, it's prophecy if I say it ahead of time, but it's history if I say it after. Listen carefully. Before I started the church, um, I asked the Lord some important questions that I needed to know before we launched and came here and started it. One of those questions is, God, why do you need this church? There's so many church. Why do you need this church? And this is what he said would make Jubilee unique. Jubilee would be a place where people could discover and recover the promises that I have for them. And I knew when he said that to me, yeah, yeah, you can get the generalization of what that means, but I knew what he was saying to me is there are things missing today in my church that I gave the first century that have been lost. The enemy has battled, time has battled, division has come in, things have uh, it, not that the church, the church is the most successful thing ever in the last 2,000 years. There's no question. Apple hasn't been around that long. Google will be forgotten and the name of Jesus will never be. Through all eternity, man, everything else will pass away, heaven and earth, but his words will remain forever. But the promises that he gave the first century are still valid for today. Healing still belongs to the church right now. Restoration, the ability to, to, to not be about division, but to be about bringing, do you know that one of the names of Jesus, he's the repairer of the breach. The thing that's broken down that keeps people in the world from being reconciled to each other and reconciled to God. The enemy has fought so hard to bring division, hasn't he? And I believe God's going to restore unity. Unity. I believe, I'm specific with you, that the gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, prophecy, words of healing, words of knowledge. The Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit speaking to you in a moment of time and it changes everything. I'm actually speaking to you right now. He's going to change everything, man. It's going to change everything. Not bad. Never be afraid of that. He only has good things for us. But that, where, where you come into his presence and the very word just heals. Your heart gets healed. <laughs> the, the people who struggle with so emotionally, we live in such a day of anxiety that you could actually come into a place that's so healthy and anxiety is just the peace of God is going to be restored before he's done with this world. It's history if I say it after and it's prophecy if I say it now. So I'm saying to you that God is restoring all things, that this is the will of the Father to restore all things. And that we're not just partakers of that, but we are also instruments that he can use to help bring that into the places, to bring it into your family, to bring it into your work, to bring it into your relationship with each other, to bring it with your children, to, to bring it when you're, when you're praying. You're not just praying, oh God, help us to survive, but now you begin to pray. God, breathe on Denver again. Breathe on my spouse again. Breathe on my children. We're singing a song <laughs> for a thousand generations to be upon you, to be upon you. I, I'm standing over here and I'm just, I'm just like, oh God, do it to me. I'm so thirsty, God, give it. And then the Lord is like, pastor, turn to your people and start praying over them that they would know that I want to do it in there. So I am just over there interceding. God, just bounce off of me right now and smack these people around with your goodness. <laughs> smack them right now. Don't let them walk out of here with a tune in their mind. Let them walk out of here with your goodness attached to them for a thousand generations. A thousand generations, man. A thousand generations. Okay, um, <laughs> it's 10.33. You know, here's what I would like to do and what I, some, we've got, I, I, I just would love to be able to open up this front and just say, let's just get before God right now. I just want to pray over people and just, just if it's touching your heart in some way, let's just give that to God. Um, so we're going to do it in your seat in two minutes rather than in 15 or 20. Um, if what I'm saying resonates inside of your spirit if something inside of you goes yes yes oh God yes oh God breathe on me and inspire me God restore God repair God, let your goodness be upon me and my children and their children and their children for a thousand generations. God, let us be a hub where we walk out with such health and vitality because of your spirit. And instead of hitting the world and that gets sucked out of us, we have enough to be able to give until we can get back and get filled again. 
If something that I'm saying is resonating with you right now, would you just lift your hands up? Just lift your hands up. Like you're trying to receive, like, you know, if I was handing you something, standing up here, handing it down to you, and you would reach your hands up to receive it. So just lift your hands up right now. Father, we receive today your kindness and your goodness and your mercy, your promises, your healing, your life. We receive your word today. Turn your face, oh God, and smile at us. God, pour out your spirit upon all flesh, upon young, old, female and male, upon those who are confused today and those who are sure today, upon those who are bruised today and those who are healthy today, those who today desperately need heaven and those who are already like, I don't think I can take anymore, it's so good. God, right now, unite us all together in just who you are and what you're doing. God, give us a future and a hope. And let us walk out with that attached to us. Listen real quickly. Any person in this room who feels crushed, who feels wounded, who's hurting, when I talked about Jesus coming and standing behind me and just his kindness healed my heart. If you're in that place today and your heart is so wounded and it's so hurt, oh, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, touch every heart, heal every wound. Every wound every wound every wound every wound if there's some wound there just you don't have to say it out loud unless you want to but just say every wound every wound touch every wound hidden and known Oh, thank you, Lord, for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. You're so, so faithful. I love you so much. We love you so much. And I bless your people now in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Let it be done, Father. Let it be done. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to me today. Thank you so much. Hold on to these things. Yep. Just keep them deep in your heart.